And when I say studied, like, I mean, maybe you studied it in school, but more importantly, you're out in the marketplace gaining expertise and learning from the best of the best in that field and refining your own skill set. But you don't just have to do that in your day job. You can maybe spend some of your nights and evenings helping a nonprofit that's working on the thing that you care about. There's a lot of different ways to think about this, but you need to develop a skill set in order to make a meaningful contribution on a problem. And that problem might not be primarily in your day job, but you need to find a way to, to connect it. And I think that's where some of the creativity that we talk about comes in. Hey, that's our guest for today, John Hart. I'm Kirby Green, your host of the Sharpen Podcast. It's the podcast for young professionals. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to thank you for your patience as this is the first episode of 2019. I've been doing some housekeeping work to streamline scheduling for guests, uh, as well as working through some other housekeeping things so that we can get more interviews and episodes out to you guys in this new year. So thanks so much for your patience. With that, we'll get right into today's conversation with John Hart. John joins us today as a member of the team at Praxis. He's going to tell us a little bit more about who Praxis is and how they came about and the work that they're a part of, as well as he, he shares some own wisdom from his experience and the advice that he would give all young professionals out there. So really, really good episode. We're going to get right to it in just a moment, but I would ask if this is your first time listening to the Sharpen Podcast please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook sharpen podcast. The link are, would be uh, the links for both of those are in the show notes today. So please subscribe, please check us out on social media with that. Here's our conversation with John Hart. So John, first of all, welcome to the sharpen podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's uh, what a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so pleased to have met you and to get to have you on. And I would love for you to tell our audience uh, about who you are. And uh, we'll also talk about the work that you do. Yeah, well, I, you know, Kirby, I grew up in a small town in the middle of the state of Minnesota. It's really cold there. Uh, there's also a lot of other cool things about Minnesota. I'm a huge fan of the state. Uh, we don't want to get too far into that, but Minnesota is a great place. Uh, I kind of like grew up with a very Midwestern upbringing. My dad was a teacher. My mom was a nurse. Uh, you know, they, they took me to church when I was young, and that was uh, an important thing to me. I, I think I started to adopt some of the ideas of Christianity at an early age. And the other thing I really loved was business. So um, I always wondered what was the intersection of like my faith with business. For some reason, I, I remember looking back, um, like all my church, for example, they would kind of invite missionaries to come up on stage and share what they were doing. And then they'd pray for them and commission them and help raise money for them. And I always kind of wondered, like, why don't we commission the business people? Or why don't we commission the teachers or the doctors to go do that? Because isn't that work just as important? And can't that work be just as missional as kind of going to a traditional missions field? Um, and so I kind of set out from a fairly early age. And again, I, it's kind of wild to me looking back that God was trying to connect those dots for me at, at such an early age. Uh, but I, I set out to try and understand what my faith had to say about what I should do in the business world because I really wanted to do business. 
And so I went to college at the University of Minnesota and uh, met a couple of other Christians there. And we actually started, they, two of my friends started a Christian business group where we started to have these conversations. And that has kind of led to a long journey for me of really exploring the questions of what is a Christian faith have to do with uh, what, what we make of the world and, and specifically what role does business play in uh, what happens in the world. Yeah. So. Talk about that, uh, that college group there. So we have, we have some college listeners uh, on Sharpen, especially those that are like junior, senior year. I can imagine what you just said. They're like, wait a minute. He just started something in college. There was a gap and you filled it. But can you talk a little bit about that uh, and that group and kind of what the intention was and how you all got started? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the caveat to that story is I did not start it. It was a couple of friends of mine, but they were like looping me in as they were doing it. I was, um, yeah, it was just, it's so interesting to me how some people just have that entrepreneurial itch and they're just like, well, if it doesn't exist, let's just start it. And I've always been around a lot of those people and I've kind of come along for the journey, but um, I'm often not the one to initiate the thing. I'm like the one who kind of helps join it and start with them. So it's two of my friends and they, they um, kind of had this idea to start a conversation around what it meant for us to be Christian and in the marketplace. Uh, the group uh, had what I would say, I would lovingly critique it now and say that it had a <laughs> terrible name. Oh gosh. Terrible oh. name. What was it? That I would really like to change <laughs> It's called truth in business, which is so kind of arrogant and naive that it like suggests that we, the Christians, are the only one that really know the truth about business or something right. like, like, oh man, it's kind of like uh, cultural arrogance as Christians. But anyway, um, that's what it was called. Wonderful group of young people. If nothing else, it just helped you identify who the other Christians were in the, yeah. in the business program at a you know, large school. But we invited speakers to come in and share their stories of working in the marketplace. And, you know, it was a good group because I met a bunch of other Christians. Many of them I'm still in touch with. And we had some thoughtful conversations. The one thing that I would say, uh, in addition to my loving critique of the name, is the the theology of most of the people who came was was primarily what, what I would now call a half gospel theology of faith and work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by that, Kirby, is um, the the overarching narrative was, what does it mean to be a Christian in the marketplace? Well, uh, be nice to people, never do anything immoral. If a coworker is going through a hard time, maybe you could pray for them or maybe even invite them to church. Um, it was Minnesota also, so we we offered to bake them a hot dish, um, <laughs> and. Uh, and then we should make money and give it to the church, give it to missions, give it to the church, things like that. And maybe we volunteer and do Sunday school or something like that. That was the overarching narrative about what it meant to be a Christian in the marketplace. Um, all of those things are good. We should do all of those things. But the gospel doesn't primarily call us to just be ethical, good people in the world. It actually uh, calls us to go beyond that and figure out how to be redemptive in the world. And that's why uh, the work that I have now, the the work that I get to do at Praxis and the kind of overarching theology, uh, this idea of redemptive entrepreneurship um, really goes a lot beyond that kind of like, let's just try to be nice Christians and never do anything immoral uh, and like, let's be known for that. It's like, no, let's be known for our love and our sacrifice and the way that we follow Jesus into, uh, sacrificing for the good of other people in the world. And uh, when I say something like that, people primarily think of like the nonprofit sector, but we have to get really creative and innovative to figure out how to do that in the for-profit sector, which is a lot of what I get to do in my work now at Praxis. 
Cool. Cool. Hey, I am so excited that you mentioned Praxis. So we've had on Keaton Hendricks before, uh, and he shared with us about starting a business in college. John, it was super cool. He had like pictures of his dorm room with like all of the socks and the shoes everywhere. And so he had a really neat message around you're in college and this could be a really neat time to start something start something good. And he, he mentioned Praxis briefly, but for an audience that has never heard of Praxis before, you, you mentioned the work that you guys do, but just start us there and, and maybe even get us a little background of how did the, the, I'll say organization for lack of better words, come, come about. Yeah. Well, first I want to just double down on what Keaton said. It, it is starting something in college is one of the best things you could possibly do because yeah. your, your overhead is taken care of, right? Like right. you, you, you've got to pay the rent anyway, like, you know, and, and it's, it's a pretty low risk environment. And as a college student, there's a ton of people that want to help you. They just, there's uh, business people that once you're out of college would like, you know, it's really hard to get on their calendar and get a meeting with them. But if you say, Hey, I'm a college student who's starting something, man, business people, um, they just want to help like in so many ways and they're willing to take meetings. So, um, as soon as you graduate for some reason, they're like really resistant. It's super hard to get on the calendar when you're a college student, everyone wants to help you anyway. Um, I love it. Yeah. And I, I love Keaton's story and it, it's not necessarily like whatever you start in college is going to like with Keaton, his thing turned into a full-time gig after college. I think most people should just do it for the experience of it to, to learn how to be entrepreneurial and what it takes because it's going to help you no matter what you decide to end up go, going to do. So anyway, the, a little bit of an aside, but I, I felt like I had to get it in there. It was there. Um, it was appropriate. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks. Sorry. I don't mean to be rebellious of your questions. Like one of those guests that just kind of says whatever he wants to say. And you're like, that's not what I asked you. Don't about. worry. We just edit those guests out. You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's good. Well, you edit me uh, all that you want. So Praxis is uh, what, what we would, we would describe it as a, a kind of a creative engine. And our whole thing is advancing this idea of redemptive entrepreneurship. You know, redemptive entrepreneurship, we would define as this idea of creatively restoring something that's broken in the world through sacrifice, creative restoration through sacrifice. Redemptive entrepreneurship applies if you're starting a nonprofit, a social enterprise, or a business. And no matter what sector you're in, this idea applies to uh, what you're doing. And so uh, we work with entrepreneurs who are trying to be redemptive in their field. Um, we run a couple of startup accelerators. We look for 12 of the most innovative businesses every year and bring them into an accelerator, help mentor them, um, give them access to capital, help refine what they do. Um, and then 12 nonprofits a year in the accelerator as well. Um, we were running these accelerators for a couple of years and we, we really heard from the fellows that we call them Praxis fellows who have been through an accelerator. It just said, wow, I wish this was around when I was in college because my ideas, not only of how to you know, start something were being formed, but more importantly, what it meant to be a Christian and how to integrate my faith with what I do. That's when the most, it's kind of one of the most formative times in your life for figuring that stuff out. And um, this was a new way of thinking that most fellows had never seen or heard before they came across Praxis. And 
so, so we a couple of years into us starting Praxis, which is primarily running these startup accelerators, we began something called Praxis Academy, which was aimed toward college students to help educate them in that formative stage of life around these ideas of redemptive entrepreneurship. Um, and so, um, and I would say on the academy side, uh, you know, one of the things we do is we run a week long event every summer where we we gather a group of uh, what we call creatives, innovators, and entrepreneurs. So you don't have to be a current entrepreneur, but somebody who's innovative and creative in the way that you think and want to go about living and expressing your faith to the world. Um, that that group, um, we, we gather a, a large group of them every summer and kind of put them through a, a week-long intensive. They get to meet a lot of great people and uh, be mentored and hear new ideas and connect with one another. And uh, we think some of the connections that happen there may even lead to future companies that get started together uh, starting at that event. So, Yeah, for sure. So what are some of the key themes? So I'm thinking about our folks that listen to the podcast. Um, some would like to start a business. Some are, nope, I will run the business for you, et cetera, et cetera. But what are some of those key themes that come up that for all of us are just really important to keep on the forefront? Um, obviously, we want to talk a little bit more about the Academy in a little bit and how folks can learn more. But is there anything that you that you would just... Um, I guess for, for this audience focus on that you're like, these are the things that we talk about and that is why it's a transformational experience. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing that we, we talk about is this idea of the kind of the, the full gospel narrative and how that should inform our, you know, theology of work and, and theology is kind of a fancy word that I'm, I'm no theologian by any means. I'm a, I'm a practical theologian, if anything. And, and, um, uh, so, so the, the whole idea there is that work was actually around before the fall. And, um, we often think of work primarily as toil and, you know, it's just hard and, you know, that's what it's going to be. But work and creativity was there, uh, in Genesis before sin entered the world. Sin enters the world, work does become toil. Um, but then Jesus enters the picture. Uh, he's our, uh, salvation and G it doesn't stop there. Uh, Jesus isn't just a fire insurance policy to get us to heaven one day when we pass away. He's actually uh, the reason and, and an animator for what we should do in the here and now. And what he's doing, God, in the grand scheme of things, is renewing all things back to the way that they ought to be. He's renewing all things. So his invitation to us is to participate in his redemption and renewal, uh, her restoration of all things. And so when we start things and when we work in the world, our primary role is to join God in his renewal. And so think of it this way. If you're in education, you can ask the question, how can I join God in the renewal uh, or the restoration of education? Um, that could be as a teacher. That could be as a principal. It could be as somebody who is an entrepreneur who's mm -hmm. starting an education technology startup. Um, so it kind of applies broadly, the idea of redemptive work and helping joining God and redeeming things in the world. That's kind of a, a call for all of us to do. Um, it does, does, that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, for sure. For sure. The, yeah. um, you know, the, the audience, and I think you've mentioned this, and I do appreciate you calling that out, is that not everyone... Uh, is going to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I know that right now, gosh, I don't, I can barely open LinkedIn without there being, you know, an article and uh, especially among 
the audience that's listening to Sharpen that um, the thought is that, oh, everyone from this generation is going to be an entrepreneur. Well, that's not the case. Uh, we have many gifted teachers and nurses and moms and dads uh, and the list that goes on, right, of all the roles that those folks take on in their life. So I think that to call out to be engaged in redemptive work doesn't necessarily look one way but I appreciate the practical theology you walked us through. I, I would love to hear, I can imagine that the stories are endless, right? Like you could probably open your email inbox of, of the work that uh, the fellows and by the way, John in Kentucky, like I'm really glad you clarified fellows because that's very normal to be like, Hey fellas. Uh, so <laughs> if you take off the OWS and just add on an A, um, that's a greeting in Kentucky. So there you go. back fellas. But uh, for, for, for our audience today, could you just share some of those just stories that, that you've been a part of or that you've learned of because of the work through Praxis? And it might even just be like, well, let me tell you about one individual or one company. Uh, I know that sometimes the, the stories can really capture the work uh, better than any website or anything else, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I was just, um, um, I was same thing. I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I don't know that anybody scrolls through LinkedIn, you get a notification, you go on there and then you're bombarded with a bunch of things. So true. Um, but, but at the top of my feed was a post from a Praxis fellow who had just been through our startup accelerator and he's standing in the, um, the house, uh, the sort of house of commons or whatever in the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, he's standing next to a guy who had just been elected to the state house of representatives for the state of Pennsylvania. He's 25 years old. He's the youngest ever elected member of the house uh, in that state. Uh, and of course we know Pennsylvania is a pretty historic place uh, for, for a lot of reasons. But uh, this young man, Jonathan Hershey, graduated uh, from Messiah College a couple of years ago, and he actually, he came through our academy in the summer. So he was interested in politics, but only through the work of one of his peers who had come to our academy the previous summer, could he be convinced that somebody interested in politics should go to an event about entrepreneurship. You know, he's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm interested in kind of politics and that sort of thing. Why would I go to an entrepreneurship event? And um, this guy, Dylan, who uh, was a big advocate, he's like, you know, Jonathan, you, you've got to come because really this is about an entrepreneurial way of thinking. It's not just being the pure word entrepreneurship. Um, it's on thinking entrepreneurial and thinking redemptively about how we go about doing our work in the world. And so, um, yeah, Jonathan, just in the comment on there, he said, you know, Praxis helped lead me on this entrepreneurial journey. And part of what he would describe as his entrepreneurial journey, as, as I was reading it anyway, is, is uh, running for uh, state Senate or state House of Representatives was an entrepreneurial journey. To run yeah. a campaign is an entrepreneurial sure. activity. So, um, so anyway, it was just cool to me. This is the story that just came across like in the last couple of days that I saw this. And, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of double down affirmation that the idea of being an entrepreneur should not be seen as, oh, I'm not an entrepreneur. It's all of us have an opportunity to think entrepreneurial. All of us have kind of a call to figure out how to be redemptive in the type of work that we care about doing. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Well, you know, you, our audience here, as I mentioned, we've, we've got a variety of, of folks, some that are in college 
and and some that are in the first we'll say the first 10 years of the marketplace of the whatever the workplace looks like um, as you look back, I know you mentioned, um, you know, I grew up in Minnesota and then I transitioned. I have to say it like that, right? For it to be Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay, yeah. good. And uh, talk about your college experience and beyond. I mean, what's uh, one thing we love to hear about is uh, your experiences as a young professional yourself. So as you think about not only the young people that you work with and but your, your own career and your own life, uh, what, what would you say in conjunction, of course, with pursue work that is redemptive in nature? What are some other uh, thoughts, ideas, uh, any wisdom that you would offer us today? So, so one overarching theme that I see with a lot of the entrepreneurs I meet is they operate at this intersection of uh, seeing a, a major problem in the world um, and maybe not even major, but like seeing a problem in the world that they care about solving and then uh, building a skill set that can make a meaningful contribution uh, toward solving that problem. So I, there's a lot of different narratives for why we would be entrepreneurs. Some of them is, you know, I, I want to be my own boss. I want the flexibility. Some people say they want to change the world by being an entrepreneur. You know, I want to become a billionaire, whatever it is. Um, but fundamentally, I think some of the best entrepreneurs and some of the people who lead the best, mo most robust careers, they uh, have a long obedience toward focusing on a, a major problem that they care about solving. Um, but you can't make, uh, you, you can't like do anything about that um, unless you actually have a skill set that can contribute to somehow solving that problem. So you might be really passionate about the problem of uh, modern day slavery and human trafficking. But, but um, let's say you're, you're really good at marketing and you might not see the connection of those things. Well, guess what? Organizations that are out there trying to fight human trafficking, um, they need to be able to market themselves better. Right. Yeah. Um, they need better branding. They need design, all of that kind of stuff for their own website. Also, if you have a deep understanding of marketing, you understand the ideas of supply and demand and sales. And ultimately, supply and demand and sales fuels the demand side of uh, human trafficking. So you can understand the problem of human trafficking at new levels because you've developed a skill set and you've studied marketing. Um, and when I say studied, like, I mean, maybe you studied it in school, but more importantly, you're out in the marketplace uh, gaining expertise and learning from the best of the best in that field and refining your own skill set. But you can, you don't just have to do that in your day job. Uh, you can maybe spend some of your nights and evenings uh, helping a nonprofit uh, that, that's working on the thing that you care about. Um, there's a lot of different ways to think about this, but you need to develop a skill set in order to make a meaningful contribution on a problem um, and that, that problem might not be primarily in your day job, but you need to find a way to, to connect it. Uh, and I think that's where some of the creativity that we talk about comes in is get creative in the ways that you apply um, and look for the intersection between the problem you care about and the skill set that you have or the, the field that you're working in. Mm, I, that, that's really, that's really good. I think skill sets too, as you think about, maybe it was because of college experience, but it's also something, whether it is a college experience or post-college or whatever that looks like, it's very intentional. Uh, to get there. So a million dollar question here, all the consultants in the world will be reaching out. What are some of those key skills as you think about kind of next generation leaders, emerging leaders, podcast listeners, 
if you could say, hey, here are one or two or three skills that I see routinely uh, needed. And if you're going to be intentional with your time uh, to spend in, in development of that, here are a couple of things that, that come to mind. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really great question. And, you know, the, the sort of pace at which things are changing in the world today, um, I think that two of the most important skills any of us can build are um, the ability to problem solve um, and uh, a practical way of doing that is through design thinking. Um, so, um, so ability to problem solve the skill set in the realm that I would learn a lot about is in design thinking. Um, yeah, that, tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, so so design thinking, or uh, it's called either human centered design or design thinking. There's a ton of resources that exist online uh, from firms like IDEO that can help you know train you in what design thinking is. But it's essentially um, uh, this idea that we're trying to understand a problem and then solve that problem for real people. Uh, so so a, a really famous case of design thinking is, um, I mean, this was like many years ago. It's on IDEO's website. I was looking at it yesterday. Um, but uh, 60 Minutes came and did a case study on these guys, and they basically put before them the shopping cart and helped, they said, okay, here's a basic item that gets used millions of times a day, design a better shopping cart. And you get to watch them think through all of the different problems related to shopping carts and then try to solve for designing a better shopping cart. But the thing that they do really well first is uh, one of the first steps of design thinking is empathy. So in empathy, you really do your best to put yourself in the shoes of a user and try to understand everything that you can around the problem. So one of the things that came out right away is they, they looked at the number of accidents that are reported every year related to shopping carts. Mm -hmm. And it's like an astonishing number of accidents that happen every year related to shopping carts. So once they had that statistic, they now know, okay, that's something that we should solve for when we get to the design phase. But they don't start with, let's solve the problem right away. The first step is let's understand the problem before we can work toward solving it. And we need to develop a really deep understanding of, of the problem through empathy, uh, which is, uh, you know, empathy in and of itself is kind of a skill set to learn how to build. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And all the moms are like, I can tell you where to start on that shopping cart. <laughs> we, <laughs> but, but how many times yeah. in like the corporate innovation world would uh, somebody say, hey, design us a new shopping cart. And they start with, oh, let's come up with a really cool design. And they forget to go through the first step, which is let's actually study people that maybe they love the current shopping cart and don't want it to change, but let's study people that hate it. Let's, let's try to really do everything we can to understand uh, the, the thing and what are all the different problems that are at play when it comes to that object. Yeah, so good. Uh, we are going to uh, include all of the, the show notes. I've been taking a couple of notes here, John, around Praxis, um, academy for the fellows and not the fellas and we'll be sure to include any links today that you share with us especially around design thinking so i'll uh, i'll do my homework there and make sure that that correlates with with what you share with us today um we appreciate your time and we'd love to ask every guest that comes on uh two questions and the first one is uh we would love for you to make a shout out uh to someone or a group of people that you just want to publicly recognize and uh, say thank you to Oh man, a shout out. Um, 
there's so many people to give shout outs to. Um, um, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to a mentor of mine, a guy named Steve Garber. He's been instrumental in uh, the way that I think and been really intentional about uh, mentoring me. Um, so that, that's my shout out, a guy named Steve Garber. Okay. Okay, cool. And uh, we would love to hear from you today to a game changer. So it can be anything under the sun, uh, but recent or maybe a few years ago, but something that sent your path in a little bit of a different direction uh, for you. Yeah, Kirby, I would say the, I, I couldn't answer the game changer question without telling a little bit of a story about the major turning point in my career. And it came actually after going through a season where I thought everything was coming together in my life. I kind of had sort of the American dream and the quote unquote Christian version of the American dream in my mind that I had been largely pursuing. Uh, it was a really good job. I was about to, I thought, get promoted. Um, I had a, a, a lady that I was interested in. I had been dating her for a while. I thought we were going to get married and, you know, do all that stuff. And, um, kind of had, had a, you know, really great community and church and all that stuff that I was a part of in New York City. And I was kind of just living the dream. And then it all sort of came tumbling down within a week. A couple of uh, tragic things happened. And I quickly learned that my faith was built really on that God delivering that dream for me that I had dreamt up in my mind. Um, and uh, I kind of went through a really difficult season, uh, a lot of doubting God, and my faith was sort of being tested, and I realized that my faith was kind of based on really the wrong things, and I uh, quite frankly went through a, a significant season of depression. I didn't have a name for it at the time, but um, you know, I just, I just really uh, had a hard time waking up in the morning. I had a hard time making decisions. I felt sad all the time, and I felt sad because uh, one of the reasons why is I lost a really close friend of mine. He passed away at a very young age through a tragic circumstance um, and had a relationship break up, and that was sad. So there was an element of just me being sad, but there was a, a deeper element of my faith, uh, something that was a foundation of my life all of a sudden was almost non-existent, and that also made me feel sad. And so I, I went through a significant period of uh, depression, felt a ton of anxiety all the time, and um, yeah, just prayed uh, one of the most desperate prayers of my life during that season. And that was, God, if you're real, uh, you need to help me. You need to help me get out of this somehow. I don't know what to do for the first time in my life. I really do not know what to do about this. I can't get rid of this thing. I can't solve this problem. Um, and, uh, and God uh, very clearly answered that prayer. Uh, he that day put a book on my mind that, um, that a friend of mine had suggested I read. And the, the book was um, just about grace and love and forgiveness and a, a whole bunch of different things. But um, it, it really framed the gospel and my relationship to God in a whole new way. And the Holy Spirit did some radical work in my life that day and just sent me in a whole new direction. Um, and, and I would say just for any listeners that have wrestled with depression uh, or anxiety. It's a very real thing. And, you know, part of the way this story could wrap up is me saying like, oh, my life changed and it's all been better and it's perfect and all that. Um, but I, I'm pretty frank. I'm pretty real. And I like to actually talk about that depression is still a real thing. And, um, and, and I like to actually have open conversations about it. So in part, the game changer for me was this hard season that I went through experiencing depression for the first time experiencing some freedom for it. But another game changer for me is uh, over the long haul in the seven years since that major turning point in my life, 
um, I've realized that, you know, this is just something that a lot of people deal with. And uh, one way to make it better is to actually talk openly about it mm -hmm. instead of uh, try to hide it or veil it behind this idea that, hey, as a Christian, we're always supposed to be happy and joyful. And, you know, we're, we're not, we're supposed to have faith and not doubt. So we, we should always just be happy and uh, being happy helps us put the depression away. It's like, it's, it's really not that simple. It's not that simple at all. So um, yeah, that's, that is a game changer for me being able to talk more openly about the idea of uh, depression and um, talk with other people about it, be able to share on a podcast. Uh, yeah. I mean, you and I don't know each other and I'm talking openly about it. I think that's important to do um, uh, because that, that, that helps me in my own uh, ongoing battle uh, in different seasons with depression. Well, first of all, thank you. Thanks for sharing that with us and with, with, with me here. I'm sitting here with you today. I would ask, uh, how, how would you say, like practically speaking, how did, how did friends in your community, coworkers, whatever that looks like, uh, really um, love you during that season, like actionably? Um, not just say it right, but, um, and, and how do you approach a conversation? You mentioned that one of the most beneficial things was to have some, to have a open dialogue where if you, um, if you're being a good friend to someone, a good coworker, what could that look like? If you can just kind of walk us through practically, cause I can imagine our audience is like, yes, thank you. How, like, where do I start? Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, one thing that I'd say is, um, one, one thing not to do uh, if, if a friend is going through that is to kind of uh, give, you know, what often become cliche, cheap mm. platitudes of, you know, hey, God had a purpose for it. God had a reason for it. Everything's going to be okay. It's okay. You know, things like that. Those, you know, those things might actually be true in the grand scheme of God's grand narrative, um, but they they just get really cheapened out when we use them to try and fix somebody. So, uh, one of the some of my most valuable friendships at the time knew how to sit with me and just listen, not try to solve or fix or you know throw some scripture at me. Uh, but they just they knew when to just listen uh, and hear me out. Uh, they knew when something was off and knew how to just invite themselves to come over. Um, because of course, when you're going through something like that, you don't. Uh, you don't want to invite people over and invite people in. So I think that's one role as friends. Like we need to be attentive. Um, I saw a bunch of stuff on the internet about this in the last year as, you know, we've seen some uh, prominent suicides and things where people say, hey, you know, reach out to me. If you're ever having, if you're ever thinking about something like that, or if you're depressed, just reach out. I'm one of your friends that you can talk to. Well, I saw somebody comment and they just said, listen, when I'm depressed, I do not want to reach out to anybody. Um, and I think that that's true. So I think our role is to pay really careful attention to our friends and to just stay in touch and figure out how to reach out to them uh, and offer to just be with them, not just solve their problems. So I think that's, that's a big one. Yeah. Thank you. That, that, that was really helpful. Well, I, I do appreciate your time. It was such a pleasure getting to know you and to hear not only about the work of Praxis, but, um, you know, what what gets, um, I guess what really kind of moved the needle in terms of, you know, the redemptive work and you sharing some stories around that. So thanks for joining us again. Like I said, for our listeners, we'll be sure to include links, um, to, uh, the programs and, uh, anything that, that we talked about today, John. Uh, but again, thank you for, for sharing with us today. Mm -hmm. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Sharpen Podcast. Uh, do me a huge favor. Please leave a review in the iTunes store. Uh, all feedback is welcome. That helps other young professionals uh, find the podcast and most of all gives me your feedback on what you want to see more of and less of on this podcast. Um, last thing, please remember to share uh, this podcast if it's been something of benefit to you as a young professional. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Until next time.